This morning we're going to be in Judges. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. Chapter 13. And probably 14. We'll see how far we get. Kids will be practicing their singing. If they want to be singing on December 23rd, um, we'll be practicing our singing after second service uh, this week and then next week, and then we'll have our, our actual uh, performance. So if your kids are interested in that, bring them back around 12.30, 1 o'clock today, and we'll be doing some singing. Um, I've got an idea, another crazy idea about... Um, and so I need to recruit people who are interested in helping me work this idea out of having some kind of drive-through light thing, nativity thing, not this year, obviously, but for next year kind of thing. So be thinking about that. If you've got some ideas or something, um, and I'd like to, not a fundraiser for us, but like each, each weekend that we do it, make it a fundraiser for the orphanage or a fundraiser for Africa or a fundraiser for something like that. So every Friday and Saturday they can drive through and look at it all and, and, and like, I don't know, five bucks a car or something like that. And then all that money goes to uh, one of those, whatever we choose, you know, whenever those things are. So anyway, I'm kind of thinking that through and it may be a bad idea and maybe we don't want a bunch of people driving through, but I thought, well, I don't know, we got a lot of land and if they came in that back way and came through that new area over there, I don't know, set up some generators over there and get some nativity or, or in a, and some lights and stuff. So, all right, be thinking about that. Just, just starting to brew in my head here. Maybe of God, it may not be. So, we'll see. All right, the birth of Samson. Been waiting for this one. Four chapters. This week and next week, we'll be doing Samson. Um, interesting, to say the least, judge that God has chosen. Um, and God chose him before he was born. Um, made him for this, if you will, um, created him for this, because his mom was barren. She wasn't able to have kids, probably wasn't going to have kids, probably been praying her whole life for kids. Big deal back then to not have kids. Um, in fact, a woman's worth was very much tied to whether she could be a childbearing woman or not. And so a very difficult time for a woman, although her husband seems to be fine with it, because at this time it was an actual uh, reason for divorce. In their culture at this time, you could divorce your wife if she was barren, but he doesn't. And so that tells you the kind of relationship they have. Not that he's just this great guy. Of course, you shouldn't divorce your wife if she's barren. But given the circumstances and the time period that they lived, that they lived in, he was abnormal. He was a good guy, basically. And so she knows that, and, and, and they have this great relationship and this great marriage from what we can tell from Scripture here. But because um, they go back and forth in this first chapter about whether they saw the Lord or not and all. Um, but she's got to be praying for God to give her a child. If not to bless her husband, to bless herself, um, and to get the stigma off. You know, who wouldn't want that stigma removed um, in her life? Now, it's untrue, and that's just a cultural thing. There's no, it's, it's not a stigma. Um, at all, and it shouldn't be, but that's just kind of how the world thinks sometimes. Oh, you know, and they have that look. And so she's been praying for this baby. And much like Zacharias and Elizabeth, praying for a baby, and a barren woman, older in her age, God steps in and not only gives her the baby that she's been asking for, but gives her the baby of all babies, you know? Your baby's going to be born, but he's going to be an amazing tool in my hand useful. And so we see that beginning here in chapter 13. Verse 1, 
Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They're on their cycle down. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years it takes for them to begin to cry out to God for deliver. This is probably one of the longest stints for them to wait. They can cry out, remember, any time they want to ask God to deliver them. They can repent any time they want, but some people are just stubborn and they won't. And they wait 40 years to cry out to God, and finally, they do. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, so this is the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife um, was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord, both capitalized there, so we know who this is, Jesus, appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For this child, or for the child, shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now this Nazarite vow is spoken of in Numbers chapter 6 in great detail. We can read through some of that, but the gist of it is, you've got three things you need to steer clear of. You need to steer clear of, you know, wine, grapes, uh, grape juice, raisins, anything that had to do with the grapes. We don't even want to be near that stuff. You can't touch dead bodies and things, and I can't remember the third thing. third thing was, can't cut your hair. And the reason for that is, um, it was meant to be a time period thing, like when you're older, maybe you're 16 or something, and you really understand who Jesus is, or God at this time, but Jesus even now, and you really want to dedicate your life to the Lord. So it's a time period. I'm going to take this, 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 this year, this six months, and I'm going to dedicate to the Lord. And you shave your head at the beginning, and then you let your hair grow out. And at the end of your time period, whatever you decide, there's really no stipulation on how long, you cut that hair, and that hair is sanctified to the Lord. That's that, that, it's like the clock. You know, that that's how much you grew. And you would offer that up as a sacrifice to the Lord along with many other sacrifices also to kind of show this, this is my life and this, it's been dedicated to you and I give it to you kind of thing. So that's the idea. Well, this is a little different, isn't it, from, from birth. This kid's never going to have a haircut. Well, he is later on, but he's not supposed to ever have a haircut, right? And so God wants him to be his, a Nazarite, completely his, completely dedicated to him his whole life. I want all of it. I don't want a section. I don't want a time period. I want the whole, the whole thing, all of it. And we're going to see, and hopefully we all learn that this morning, it's probably one of the biggest points of the two chapters here, is that your commitment to God directly translates into um, the peace that you have with Him, the, the love that you have for Him, the, the power that you have. The victory that you have in your life directly correlates to the commitment you have to him. Some people like to commit to Christ, you know, just enough. I don't want to burn. And they, can't, they live an unvictorious life. But they're saved. They got the fire insurance. But their life is just a disaster of ups and downs. And they cannot figure out for the life of them why this is happening. Because they haven't committed. They've only committed just enough. Then you see other people that commit a little bit more, a little bit more. It's much like the, the disciples of Jesus. You've got the 70. Well, you've got the multitudes. Then you've got the 70 then you've got the 12, then you've got the three. There's just rings of commitment, it seems like. People just go as far as they want to go. But that's up to us, how far we commit, how much we commit to the Lord, how far we go, and the victory that we have in our lives. And so the angel tells him, Jesus tells him, this Nazarite vow is for your child, 
from the beginning. I don't want him to ever not have this Nazarite vow. He's, he's completely his. Paul in Acts chapter 18, if you want to read a little bit about that, 1818 is the actual location. Um, he does a Nazarite vow, e- even, even in the New Testament. It's just a time period where he just dedicates himself to the Lord. Very brief, one or two verses at the most about how he didn't shave his head or shaved his head and he started this commitment thing um, to the Lord. And so, interesting. Um, okay, verse 6. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me. So she's not exactly sure who it was, but she's going to describe him now. And his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. The angel of God, not an angel of God or a angel of God. The angel of God. He's amazing. Very awesome. Remember, angel means messenger. Very awesome, she said. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. She probably knew what her husband was going to say. So where was he from? And what was his name? I don't know. He didn't tell me. He was awesome, you know? So they go, they have this back and forth. I kind of, I like this. And he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. I want the whole life. So Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, this is, this is the husband. Oh, my Lord. He, he goes himself to God. Please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us, or come, us, come to us again, and teach us what we, shall, uh, what we shall do for the child who will be born. He, he wants to know what he's supposed to do. You know, how am I going to, how do you want me to raise him? What do you want me to do? Uh, you know, that's great. You're going to give us a child and he's sanctified for the Lord, but you know, can we get a little more information? Anybody feel that way with God sometimes? He gives you a direction. You're like, could I have a little more information on this? I mean, I trust you. I know you want to do this and you're going to. Can I have a little more information on this? And it's okay to ask. God doesn't give him any more information. He does come back again, but he doesn't give him any more information than he gave his wife. None of it. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came uh, to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Good question. You know, are you the guy I'm supposed to be talking to? And look what his answer is. And he said, I am. A little clue there. I am. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's I am who I am. I am, I am. That's the great I am. And Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? That's what a dad wants to know. What's the direction do I send him in? What's his, what kind of life should I, what, what rules do we have? You know, what, what are his boundaries? And what kind of work is he going to do? You know, is it ministry? Does it need to be a tailor? You know, what, what does he need to do? And we worry about that stuff as dads. That's kind of like our prime goal as parents even. What are our kids going to do? How do we get them to, first of all, we got to teach them to live on their own. We got to teach them how to go to the bathroom. That's the first thing we teach kids. Got to go to the bathroom in the right place, not in your pants anymore. And we work our way up from there, trying to get them to live on their own, you know? And we think it's pretty much a success after, hey, they graduated high school. We've got them living on their own. They're driving on their own. Not too many car accidents. We're okay. You know, insurance isn't, it's just tripled. It hasn't doubled or quadrupled. You know, we're doing all right. Um, And we think we're great. And, and, And 
And as parent, this has been gelling with me for weeks now, and I've been looking for an opportunity to maybe springboard into it. Uh, and I try not to do that too much with God's Word, but this seems like a good opportunity for me to at least get it off my chest and off my heart. But man, as parents, we spend a lot of time worrying about the things they're going to do for this little bit of life in comparison to the fact they're going to spend an eternity with a living God. It should really be proportionate how we teach our kids. Sports are great. Sports are great. Don't get me wrong. Love sports. But your kid is probably not going to the majors. And is probably not going to the NFL. It's probably not going to whatever the pro thing that they're supposed to be doing. We think it's important. And it does build character. And it's good to persevere and endure and do things when you don't want to do them. All of that is very valid for now. But there's a 100% chance your child is going to stand before the true and living God and give an answer for the way he lived or the way she lived. Now, which is more important? And which should I spend more time on? And how should I proportion these things out to say, now, wait a minute, that's great, but let this not overshadow the fact that my son is a child of God and will be standing before the true and living God. I want them to grow. I want them to have the best life they can right here, but I'm more concerned about their eternity. I'll give you a few scriptures here. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, it says not to worry. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, val more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Can't make yourself taller. It would be nice, though, wouldn't it? Well, for me, anyway. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the, of the field and how they grow, and neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not as much clothe you, or will he not much clothe you more, uh, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. These are the unbelievers. Now, this is key. Tune in. But... Um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that he just mentioned, I'm adding that, all of the things we just talked about that we worry about constantly, all these things shall be added to you. See, if I focus on teaching my kids to walk with God and to love God and to experience God in real life, not just in word and not just in doctrine, but experience him and see him moving in their lives, Everything else that I worry about most of the time for them, living on their own, going to the bathroom in the right place, it's going to be added to them. God's given us permission to focus on one thing, his kingdom and his righteousness with our kids. And all these other things that we worry about most of the time will be added to them. I don't have to worry about how they're going to provide for themselves. I don't have to worry about whether they're going to be enlightened with education. I don't have to worry about all these other things as long as I'm focusing on these things. Now, I'm not saying we neglect those other things. Sure, bring them along. That's part of it. Do those things, but focus on the most important thing, his kingdom and his righteousness, because that's where they're going to spend all of their time in comparison to this hundred years they live on earth. So when Manoah asks this question about, you know, what's he going to do? 
you just worry about this. Here's the angel's response. Here's what you need to do, Manoah. Here's what you need to do, wife of Manoah. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Very simple. Didn't give him any more information. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. You do what I've asked you to do or told you to do. This is a command. How do, I, how do, how do we raise this child? You just do what I've asked you to do. I'll take care of the raising of the child. I'll take care of the molding and the forming and giving the opportunities and opening the doors and closing the doors of their life. What I want you to do as a parent is do what I've asked you to do, these things. All he's talking about is dietary restrictions for her. But as a dad, you're like, what am I supposed to teach him? How am I going to teach this guy to be like a servant of God? I'm not, you know, we don't know much about Manoah, but apparently he's a little insecure. He's not like a Levite priest that says, yeah, we got this. We know it. Train kids all the time for this job. I got this, you know. He's like, what? He's a Nazarite from birth? Forever? I don't think I've even committed that much. Ever, ever be that parent that feels like, I don't think I know as much as my kids know. They've learned a lot more in Sunday school than I know. I've been there. They, they, they start talking about, I'm a pastor. They start talking to some guy in the Old Testament. They go, you know, Dad, that story. I'm going, yeah. Yeah, that's in Hezekiah, right? You know, I don't, I don't know where that's at. What'd you learn? What's this picture of? It's of the king. You know, he did this, that, and the other thing. Who well, did he? Better look that up kind of thing. I can understand where Manoah's coming from sometimes. I can see that. I mean, I've read the Bible from cover to cover, but I don't remember everybody and everything they ever did. And so Manoah's a little concerned about that. What am I supposed to do? Imagine Joseph was the same thing. We're coming up on Christmas. <laughs> Joseph, you're going to raise my son. Oh, you know, really? You talk about a, a I don't know, being worried about a quiz or a test afterwards. It's like, is he going to be looking over my shoulder every day? You know, um, you know, don't, no, 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 not that way, Joseph. Uh, you know, how do you raise the son of God? I can understand where these guys come from. And so God, through his grace, and this is the important part of today, through his grace gives him a very simple task. Just watch what you eat, honey. This is what I don't want you to do. Just don't do these things. The rest of it's going to come about. Your kids will learn to go to the bathroom in the right place eventually. Some people worry about it. I'm, I'm potty training at one. Mm, no, you're not. I say with six children, you can try to do that at one. I'm doing it at two. Well, you know, in China, they let them run around and they tell me all these, all these parents tell me all these things that they do. I'm like, you know what? They're going to figure it out eventually. That's not the most important thing. Well, it is kind of important, but it's not the most important thing. As parents, and I've learned, they get it. They start to get it. They just start picking up on the things you do and the things their siblings do. Having a lot of kids is a Bo's like on autopilot. It's awesome. He's just raising himself. He's like, hey, good. Figured that out. Didn't have to teach him. Evangeline, how many, how many kids have you taught how to tie shoes? You teach Bo and Mariah both? Yeah. I'm like, sweet. You know? So I have a lot of kids. This is a really easy way to raise kids. Um, anyway, they're going to get it. And go, so God gives them this. We need more information. Manoah says, okay, okay, listen up. Do what I told you to do. That's all he gets. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. Hospitality. Forgot to even ask you if you wanted a glass of water. Stay. 
detain you. We want to hold on. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I'm going to wait. I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt sacrifice, you must sacrifice it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? And when your words come to pass, we, that when your words may come to pass, we may honor you. So he's asking for the name now before he says, I am. And here's his new name. The angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? Now that's Jesus playing around. Anybody get a Christmas card from Isaiah 9-6? And they shall call his name wonderful. It's the very first name, comma, counselor. That's his other name. And so he's like, why do you want to know my name seeing it is wonderful? And now Manoah doesn't know he's given him his name, but he actually has given his name. So Jesus is messing around here. It's kind of funny. Why do you want to know since my name is wonderful? And it is. So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it upon a rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous, Jesus did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as a flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When, Moa and his, when uh, Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Oh, they figured it out right there in the sacrifice being offered on the rock. And he ascended in the sacrifice, a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. So many pictures here of Christ, right? But they get it now. And he's not mad at him. He's not, how come he didn't see me? How come he didn't recognize me? Why are you asking me my name, knowing it's wonderful? He's, he's this is good news, this is supposed to be a great time of fellowship. Jesus wants it that way. He wants this to be a wonderful thing. You've been praying for a baby. You're going to get one. And he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. He's going to be dedicated to God for, for, for his whole life. It's wonderful. And they're, they, they're stressing. What, what are we supposed to teach him? If you're who you are, can I make you some food or something? He's like, okay. And then they finally realize it and they fall on their faces because actually they're scared. I mean, it's out of reverence, but they're scared. Look what he says. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. They know they're not supposed to see the face of God. Everybody knows they're not supposed to see the face of God. When you see the face of God, that's it. We all know that. And I don't know if his wife agreed or not. She's going to straighten him out here, but I don't think it's like a, oh, don't be so silly kind of thing. I think it's a, wait a minute. You know, let's think about this a little bit. They're caught up in the moment. They've just seen this guy who they thought was just a man of God come and go up into the flames, up into the sky, up and through the smoke. Okay, wow. And so he's concerned. We've seen God, we're going to die. That shows, a, that shows his heart though. As, as wrong as he is or as off as he is on, on what Jesus' intent was here, his heart was pure reverence and respect though, wasn't it? We've just seen God, and God is almighty, and he's, this is it, you know. So I kind of understand him, and I get it, and I appreciate him. I appreciate his heart. Look at his wife. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. He's not going to tell us we're having a baby that's going to be dedicated to God and have a meal with us and offer up the sacrifice and then kill us. That'd be, that wouldn't, doesn't make any sense. It's almost like she's talking to herself and to him. Now, wait a minute, let's think this through, right? 
And so they get relieved. And they learn a little bit about God, don't they? They learn a lot about the Lord right here. Oh, so we, we can see him in a way. Who is this? Who did we see? What was it? They got to be thinking of all this stuff. So anyway, verse 21, or 24, excuse me. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him um, at uh, Mahena, Dan, that's a location, they're going to read more about it later, between Zorah and Eshtol. It's actually in verse eight or chapter 18. We're going to read more about that place. But that's, that's when he begins to, to move, and that's a location. Now, we don't know what he does there, but somewhere along the line he does something, okay? Okay, so we got the picture. It's, it's Samson. Now, we, we know um, Samson's going to have some problems. All of us have probably learned about him if you haven't. He's got some issues. He's, he's, very, he's very much about himself. He's been raised as a Nazarite. He's special. God's blessings upon him. Everybody's kind of fawned over him his whole life. And so he's grown up with this kind of attitude a little bit. And he's going to show it here in chapter 14. Now Samson um, went down to Timnah and saw a woman um, in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. That's their mortal enemy. So he went up and told his father and mother saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Mm, not how it goes usually. Now in this day, they're doing arranged marriages still. And so dad and mom or just dad will go out and find this wife for you and bring her back to you and all that. And for the most part, it worked out really well, it seems like. And so I think we should bring it back. But I don't know if, I don't know if my daughters would agree with that. Well, we've already found one, we think. Anyway, we'll see what happens. It's exciting. Um, but... That's the idea. The kid does not go and ask, you know, hey, dad, I found this girl. Go get her for me. Yes, son. You know, uh, it's backwards. And so his dad and mom asked him a question. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? These are enemies. God's told us not to go after these. We're not supposed to give our sons to their daughters or their daughters to us. We're not supposed to do that. Isn't there anybody else? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Samson's not thinking about what God wants. He's not thinking about what his mom and dad want. There's no honor there. I just want you to see all that in this judge that God has chosen to deliver the nation of Israel at this time from the Philistines. He does not meet the qualifications of a godly man. Just because he's got long hair and probably hasn't drank wine or done any of those other things, he's going to break some of these laws, some of these rules. He certainly isn't caring about what the Lord wants or what his parents want. None of that's there. He's just looking out. He's living by the flesh. He's set apart for God, but he's living after the flesh. Now, he says, go get her for me. Now, look at verse 4 is probably, I keep saying that's the most important, but it's really important. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord wait a minute, I have a doctrinal problem with that. God told them, these people, not to intermingle with these other people. And yet here it states that this is of the Lord, that Samson's going after a Philistine girl. Well, there's a hyphen here. That he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. 
It's not that God is pleased with Samson's choice. He shouldn't have. That's on Samson. His mom and dad probably shouldn't have. That's on them. And yet God's still going to use it. He's going to use those things. God uses some of our poor decisions, even some of our sinful decisions, to work. He works them out for good. He can do that. Now, I'm not saying we should all therefore go and sin, and God will work it all out for good so we can really live how we want. Is it? No, no, no. That's not the point. The point is God wants to do a task and that's to take care of the Philistines and deliver Israel. And he's going to use this kid who's full of himself and arrogant, although he has long hair, doesn't listen to his parents, is going to pick the wrong girl. That's all right, I can do anything. We see the free will of man here, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, sinful. And yet you see the sovereignty of God at the exact same time. It's all right, this will work. I'm looking for an occasion. Give me a reason to set this guy loose or set him off. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Didn't even come up. Shredded this lion. Just pulled it apart. Um, that's the first thing we see. Samson's probably been used by God several times, but this is the first one documented about him having that kind of strength. And we're going to start seeing that used more and more here. Uh, Samson's anger, his rage, his violent tendencies, and his strength all mixed together, and God's going to use it. And of course, that's what you need in a warrior. It doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't matter if you're the strongest guy in the world, but you're unwilling to wield that power, you know. So this kid doesn't have a problem with it. So he rips this lion apart um, on his way down to the Philistine camp, okay? Going in the wrong direction, going against what God's law says, and yet God still used him. Interesting. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Of course, that's what you do, wouldn't it? You go check out the lion that you killed. Where was the lion killed? Does anybody remember? In the vineyard. Awfully close to the vine. Awfully close to the grapes and raisins and the grape juice that you're not supposed to be around. I mean, this kid just doesn't, he doesn't have any wits about him, you know. Hey, don't go over there. That's a bad part of town. Oh, really? You know, and they just go there. He's just that kind of kid. Maybe you're raising one of those kind of kids, you know. Don't go over there. Why not? You know, and they start thinking, well, he's that kid. So he goes to check out the dead lion. Now, what is one of the other three things? You're not supposed to be in a vineyard. You're not supposed to cut your hair. And what was the third thing you're not supposed to do? Touch dead things. Well, so he goes over there and he looks at the lion and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it with his hand and went along eating. Well, he's not afraid of bees. We know that. He's also not afraid to touch dead things either. He's not supposed to do that. He can make dead things apparently though. I got to thinking about this. How is he not going to be touching dead things if he's going to be killing Philistines all day long? But apparently you can't touch them after you kill them. But you can do it while you're doing it, I guess. He took some of it in his hand. He went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. So now they're eating stuff that came out of a dead thing. And they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman. Okay, let's get her son. And Samson gave a feast there. 
For young men used to do so. Kind of a bachelor party, I guess, of sorts. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Not a lot of friends. And so they had to make some friends for him. So Sam, and then Samson said to him, <laughs> he probably asked his buddies, anybody want to go down to the Philistines? I'm going to go get my wife. Yeah, no, we're going to pass. You know, all right. Well, here comes my husband. Could you get him some buddies? You know, so here's 30 guys to hang out with him. Let me pose a riddle to you. So these guys are all doing what they probably shouldn't be doing at a bachelor party, and someone gets the great idea. You know, I got a riddle. Let's make a bet. So now he's gambling. I don't know. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. So he lays it out for him. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. That's a pretty big bet. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So they accepted the bet. Let's put that out there right there. They said, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can figure it out. There's 30 of us and one of you. So here's his riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Well, we know what it is. But Now, for three days, they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh. See the little one there? That means it probably wasn't seventh, because after three days, then they came. So what day is it? Fourth. So look at your center column reference, and it says it's the fourth day. So just a translational issue here. Not a big one, but I just want to point it out. But it came to pass on the fourth day, probably, that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? She probably should have picked some different guys, but that's what they think of her. We're going to kill you, your father's house. We're going to burn them all. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. Now, we've got a problem here. First of all, we've got a wife that's being deceptive, or a future wife that's going to be deceptive. We need to not worry about the fact that she doesn't know her husband. Um, as Christians, as Christian women, as Christian husbands and Christian wives, we need to learn to trust God and do what He tells us to do, regardless of the trustworthiness of the husband or wife or the spouse. Okay, very important. God has never asked us, you need to trust your husband, you need to trust your wife. No, you need to trust me, he says. When you don't trust them, you don't trust me. He takes it very personally. And so I've got some scriptures I want to go over with you. Not going to be popular, but they need to be, they need to be taught, they need to be shared. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5-6. through six, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. It's very true. And some people, well, that's just one verse, and that's not relevant for today. Well, let me keep going. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Okay, there's two. No, keep going. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is sub subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Very important we understand the picture here. The picture here of our marriages is supposed to be one that reflects the church's submission to Christ. 
It isn't about whether your husband's worthy to be submitted to. It has everything to do with the picture being there. Very important. And, and I would submit the way the church today is teaching this section or not teaching this section of Scripture shows very much how the church feels about Christ. Very unsubmitted to Jesus. Oh, we're not going to teach that. We don't think that's true anymore. Uh, that's just, uh, that's Victorian. That's old school. That's for that time period. We've evolved from that way of thinking. And I would submit to you, so has the church evolved from thinking that they need to be submitted to Jesus in the same way. And so I will forever teach this verse as it stands, as God's word, because I'm responsible to stand before the living God. He's going to say, what did you teach them? Well, I didn't teach them Ephesians 5 because I thought that was dumb. No. If he's got a problem with that, or if I'm wrong, or if we're all wrong, then we're all going to stand there and say this, we did what your word told us to do. I don't think he's wrong. There's a beauty there. There's a peace there. There's a freedom in these verses that people neglect. They think submission means bondage. They don't understand. Submission to Jesus Christ, does that mean bondage? No. Submission to Jesus Christ sets us free from our sins. It sets us free from our own self-rule, which ruined us to begin with, which is our reason for coming to Christ and needing a Savior. So nor does these verses, they do not mean bondage. There's nothing to it. Verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 14. And if they want to learn something, speaking of wives, let them ask their own husbands at home. Here's why I'm bringing all this up at this time. She doesn't trust Samson, but she does trust these guys. So she's going to be deceptive to her husband to get the answer because she's not sure he can protect her from these guys. Is she wrong? She's absolutely wrong. If there was one husband in the world that could handle all 30 of these guys, it's Samson. If there's one guy in the world that can take care of the entire Philistine population, if they all came against this couple, it's Samson. But instead, through her fear, through her misunderstanding, through a lack of faith, she's a Philistine, she doesn't know she's supposed to trust God, but I'm using this as a point. But through all that lack of faith, that lack of trust in the true and living God, and that lack of devotion to her husband, she misses the boat entirely. And she ends up getting into big trouble. And it's not going to work out well for her especially. And finally, Proverbs 31, verse 10. I'm going to break it up a little bit. It says this, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She watches, and I'm going to skip down a little bit. She watches, verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. That's what he says about her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The beauty of the Proverbs 31 woman isn't what she does. What she does is because of what it ends up in verse 30 is she fears the Lord. She trusts God. And so she becomes Proverbs 31 by trusting the Lord and doing what he's asked her to do. And so we see Samson's wife make a terrible, tragic mistake that I believe a lot of wives do in not trusting God and trusting their husbands in the process. Remember when he told Peter, do you love me, Peter? Of course I do. Then feed my sheep. The way to love Peter or to love God for Peter was to take care of the people. That's what I want you to do. 
the way for a woman to trust God is to do what he asks her to do about her husband. Trust him. Ask him questions. Seek out his wisdom. Let him be your teacher. Let him guide you. Now, we make mistakes. This has nothing to do with it. Guys, we need to do our part to make it so that she doesn't need to be afraid to trust us, to doubt us, to wonder if. But it doesn't matter where you stand. Your worship to God, women, is to worship God by doing what he's asked you to do. And our worship, men, is to do what God's asked us to do. It's not dependent upon each other. My wife doesn't have to be a Proverbs 31 wife for me to be a godly husband. I need to be a godly husband regardless of whether she is or not. And likewise, wives, you need to be that godly woman like Sarah, whose husband turned her over to the Pharaoh to be a part of his harem. Get it? And she called him Lord. It's about trusting God. It's not about the performance of your husband, whether he's worthy of your trust or not. So she doesn't. And she blows it. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Wrong answer, Samson. Of course you should. There's a difficult time. Both of them are having a hard time separating from the people that they grew up with. I, I didn't tell my mom and dad. I'm not going to tell you. I'm your wife. I'm completely different than your mom and dad. You should tell me everything, right? They need to cling to each other and they're not. Now, she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it, so that was a great feast for him every time he came home or whatever, the tent, wherever he went to. There she is, bummed out. Now, she wept on him for uh, seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he hap- that it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. So then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So she just throws her husband under the bus. So the men in the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than the lion? And here's his response. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Well, you're not happy. And guys, don't call your wife a heifer. That's a bad idea. Just throwing that out there for you. (laughs) He doesn't mean it like we would mean it today. What he means is she is in my heart and she's plowed and plowed and plowed until finally I gave up. You know, is the idea. He doesn't mean it as derogatory as it sounds, but still, heifer's a bad name. That's not a good pet name for your wife. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. This is God's opportunity. God works it out for good. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Here's your clothing. Takes it off of like probably some of their relatives. Blood stained and all more than likely. And said, here's your clothing I promised you. Not a, you just don't want to cross this guy. Vicious. Going after a line and tearing it apart. You know what kind of speed, what kind of violence you have to create to do something like that, let alone strength, but just the will and the guts to do something like that. And then to say, oh, you want 30 people? Okay, let me get your clothes. He's so mad about losing his bet that he goes and kills 30 people. That's the kind of guy he is. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Did not go well. She's probably thinking, I had no idea you could kill 30 guys. 
This probably wasn't an issue. On the other hand, these are the kids she's grown up with all of her life. I don't want you killing them. She's, she's just in that place. Now, next week, as we get into 15 and 16, we're going to see the conclusion of this terrible but awesome and amazing and very, boy, you learn a lot in this judge right here, that God uses, the people God uses, the grace that he brings along to fulfill his accomplishment, what he wants to do. He accomplishes everything he wants to do in Samson, despite Samson's apparent just oblivious to what God wants to do with his life. He's living for himself. He's not focused on the task at hand. He isn't even asking God what he should do. He's going to, but he's not even asking God what he should do. He's just living life with long hair, you know. Interesting. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for the story of Samson and his, um, just his life. What a great example for us. If we were ever in doubt as to whether you could use us or not or want to use us or not, Lord, this takes away that doubt. I mean, we're here. We're here to worship you together and to sing songs of praise and adoration to you and to give you our hearts. And we're getting prepared for this Christmas season with all the stuff going on around us and the preparations that take place for the big day. We're also thinking about your son Jesus and his birth, which is why we're having the big day. Lord, we're here. But if you can use someone like Samson and will use someone like Samson, even his mistakes and his failures and his shortcomings as far as devotion to you, Lord, um, will you use us this year? Would you help us to see those opportunities and even our mistakes, God? As sorry as we are for them, we pray that you'd even use those. We pray that you'd be sovereign in our lives, that you would bring them about your purposes and help us to look for those silver linings um, in those clouds that we think are just, oh, why did I produce that? Why did I do that? Help us to see how you can bring and make beauty for ashes, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us and your wanting to use us. And this great example of this little family of Samson and Manoah and his wife, um, help us to be devoted to you, God. Completely devoted to you. Um, completely yours, set apart for you. Um, to see what you'll do and the power that results from that. Thank you for this time this morning. Bless these folks as they go. Help them have a great rest of the day of worshiping you, of resting, of uh, um, enjoying each other, and uh, enjoying you, and enjoying your creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.